And so in the, when we started the series, the idea with that first message is that when David goes in the battle, David knows who God created him to be. And so we started this series with this truth that you're not going to win a battle by trying to be who you're not. And so when David goes into the battle, David's not trying to be Goliath. David's not trying to be Saul. David is trying to be David. And so David knows because of experience, because of God's faithfulness, that by being who God made him to be and by knowing that God walks with him into that battle, that it was the Lord's battle, not his, God used David. But if David would have tried to be somebody else, he would have missed the opportunity in that moment for what God was trying to do. And so today... We're going to build on that because as we fight battles, we begin knowing who we are, who God says we are as we go into the, the battles. And today we're going to be, add on to that by understanding the strength that we carry with us as we go into battle. In Psalm 18, which is how we ended last week's message, Psalm 18, David, the same David who fought Goliath, the same warrior David, wrote this in a song. He said, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. And so for David, he understands that in battles, the source of his strength comes from God. It's not David's training. It's not David's expertise. It's God's strength. The reason that he can do what God asks him to do is because God is giving him strength. And it's God who keeps his way secure. It's God who is protecting him. God who is giving him confidence in the battle. And he says, he, God, trains his hands for battle. That God trains trains him for the battles. He trains him for the moments. And so for you and I, as we continue in the series, as we talk about the strength in the battles of life, in the battle against the enemy in our mind, in the fight against lies, in the fight against worry and fear, in the, in the battles we have against our own sinful flesh, fighting negative patterns of behavior or addictions, dishonesty, unhealthy relationships, even in the battles that come because of the world we live in, a battle that wants to redefine good and evil. In all of these battles, what we find is God training us for this moment, for such a time as this. You are alive in this moment because God has prepared you for the battle in this moment. And so God is preparing us to fight. Ephesians describes the struggle by saying our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which is a reminder that the battle is not an us versus them. It's a battle of, of the enemy against us, fighting against us and what God wants to do in our world. And so what would it like for us in our own battles to know who we are? What would it look like for us to have a confidence that was born out of knowing that we are who God says we are? And what would it look like then if the strength that we carried into battle was a supernatural strength, a strength that came from the power of God? What if we dared greatly? What if we dared being willing to face our fears as we entered into battle? Daring greatly knowing that there might be some battle scars that we might get bloodied and bruised, but knowing in the midst of it that those scars would testify to the power and the faithfulness of God. What if we dared greatly knowing that we might be criticized when those who are outside of the kingdom of God look in and they see as we try to walk in obedience and faithfulness, what if we knew that we might be criticized, yet God wanted to do something in and through his church? What if we even knew that as we walked in faithfulness, we may even stumble and fall. 
yet knowing that we are never left alone in the battle. And so today, I want us to go to the book of Judges, chapter 7. We're going to look at the, a warrior by the name of Gideon as we continue this series. Now, the incredible thing about Gideon, just to give you a little bit of a backstory. In Judges 6, we learn about who Gideon is, which I encourage you, read that story. It's an incredible story of God speaking identity into who he sees Gideon to be. Now, Gideon is a warrior who didn't think he could be a warrior, he doesn't believe God could use somebody like him. He doesn't believe that is who he is. Yet God chooses Gideon despite not being who people would expect to be a warrior. And despite what Gideon thinks about himself. Gideon is the weakest in his clan. He lives in fear. And God shows up and speaks to him when he says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. Or some translations say, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. Now the incredible thing, Gideon, like so many of us, when God speaks to us about who we are, he says, I, that's not me. You, mu you, like, you must have the wrong guy. And so often, that, that, and I feel like even for me, that's the way that I know that it's God speaking to me about who I am. It, usually I say, that's not who I am. Like that, that couldn't be true. I couldn't be a warrior. I couldn't be like loved and redeemed. Like that couldn't possibly be me. And so Gideon doesn't believe that he could possibly be who God tells him that he is. He questions it. He even asks God to prove it. Like, if this is really who I am, prove it to me. And so in Judges chapter 7, it, Gideon is now leading an army. God calls him a mighty warrior. He's leading an army into battle. And so we're going to read about this battle because I believe there's something significant that we see as Gideon lives in his true identity, following and being faithful to God. God also shows him something about strength in the midst of this battle. And so I'll begin in chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me and that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I'll sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. 32,000 men in the army that Gideon is leading, and God sifts it down to 300. Now, God is incredibly clear from the start with Gideon. Like, God tells Gideon exactly what he's doing. So we don't even have any guessing that has to go on here. God actually says, the reason this is, is happening, you have too many men. I don't want anybody to possibly give credit to the army. I don't want anybody thinking, all right, this is Gideon's work, this is the army's work, this is Israel's work. I want at the end of this no questions to be left that this is only because of the power of God. And so in order to prove this, that the strength comes from God only, God knocks it down from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. So often when you and I go into a battle, we go into battle looking for the wrong source of strength. 
We go into the situation, the struggle, our own fights against our own sinful flesh. We go into to a situation and facing the diagnosis or the doubts or the questions, and we bring with us our metaphorical armies. Like, we bring with it and think, like, I have all these things. I have this strength. I, like, I can, I can get through this. I can carry this. I know the strategy. I know the way to fight. I can do it. We often believe, like, if, well, if we've got if we've got the army, if we have enough strength within it, within us, then, that, then we can't lose. The, the problem, though, is God is trying to teach a lesson to Gideon and to the nation of Israel that I believe he's trying to teach to us. You won't win the battle by trying to rely on your own strength. God doesn't want Gideon and he doesn't want his army to rely on their own strength, their own size. And so often for us, I think God is trying to teach us the same thing. As we fight against our fears and our anxiety, instead of simply saying, all right, do I have the strength that I can muster it all up and solve this problem? Instead of in the midst of loneliness, as we are battling maybe against addictions, instead of just saying, all right, I just got to really correct the behavior and, and try all these things, take all these steps, which may be valuable steps. God's trying to say, all right, where is the strength to fight this fight going to come from? Or maybe as you hit the storms of life and you feel like you, you, when you feel like you couldn't take another step, God's trying to remind you, I, I wasn't asking you to have the strength to take that next step. One of the things I've noticed in battles throughout my, my own life is that it's often as I try to carry that burden alone that I'm rely, reminded how weak I really am. And the reason I think I'm reminded of that so quickly is God never created us to carry those burdens. Because you're fighting sin and, and, and feeling the weight of the burden of, of sinning and falling short. As you experience tragedy in your family and you're trying to figure out how do I carry the burden? How do I be there for people I love in the midst of all of it? Or you, can, you find yourself exhausted and worn down. Why? Because God never created you to carry the burden. That's why Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. Why? Because Jesus came to lift your burdens. Jesus came to carry burdens. And so God is doing this with the nation of Israel. As their army is down to 300, he says, I want to make sure that you never believe that you're carrying your own burdens into the battle. That if you are going to make it in this battle, the only way you're going to win this battle is by knowing what I am going to do in the army. Now, I also believe that there's a word here for the Christian church in America. Now, interesting thing, m many of us, when we think about, like, Christianity on a global scale, we tend to think, like, in the West, that we are the center of it. Um, the reality is, in the Western world, Christianity has been declining the past number of years. Um, all research is suggesting that the rise of nuns, not, not nuns like Catholic nuns, like no religious affiliation, um, is one of the fastest growing groups of religion in um, in the United States and in the Western world. Um, at the same time, what's interesting is globally Christianity is actually on the rise. And so in the West, in America, Christianity is declining. Um, in the global Christian church, Christianity is actually on the rise. And so in places like Africa, Christianity is blowing up. Um, a, a number of weeks ago, actually, um, when Brandon Bose was here, he told me he met his first African missionary, meaning he met not his first missionary that's going to Africa, his first missionary from Africa to the United States. 
Right? And so such a shift in our mind to think, or as, as things are rapidly declining here, I believe that God wants to teach us something in the story of Gideon. That in the sifting, that maybe what God is doing is he says, I want, the, I want the church in America to see that something's going to happen in the kingdom of God that we couldn't take credit for. That there is a move that's going to happen as the spirit does what the spirit can only do. And we can't credit it to ourselves. Most research now is suggesting that in the midst of this past two years, the pandemic has sped up a number of things. Some of those are simple reality things like about things like work, like um, remote work. was It rapidly accelerated the timeline for us to be able to do that technologically. Things like live streaming, we very rapidly progressed in those things. Some research is also suggesting the decline of the Christian church in America has also um, rapidly sped up. That, um, that some of the numbers coming out from Barna is, is they're estimating a third of people who have left the church in the past year are not coming back. And so what if, as we go into the battle for the sake of the kingdom of God, the battle that people would see and know and hear the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus, what if, what if God is raising up an army? An army in the Christian church that maybe looks and feels smaller, but an army that we would look around and say, there's no way that God could do what he could do by our strength. That maybe God is teaching us something to be dependent on him. And so when God moves at faith and he starts doing something, we couldn't say, oh, it's, it must be the music. It must be the preaching. It must be the programs. No, like the only explanation will be only God could do that in our midst. See, God doesn't need you, all you think he needs to do what he does. God doesn't need all the things that we think, we, that, think that he needs. And so God wants to do something in the church, raising up warriors who are fighting for their families, raising up warriors who are fighting for the church and for the kingdom of God, raising up warriors who are fighting for their neighbors. I'm going to continue in verse 9 as we continue to look at this war and this battle taking place with Gideon and his army. Verse 9, during the night the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled into the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And I want to pause briefly here because there's something interesting that happens as we begin to read the story. Like God tell, gives permission for people who are afraid to leave. But I think there's something really important here when there's only 300 left. Because God actually says to him, if you are afraid to attack, right, go and listen and see. There, there's almost this assumption, even for Gideon and his armies, that fear's not like erased out of the equation. That there, there continues to be some fear and trepidation. And so as we walk into the battles of our, of our own life, there, there are moments where we will feel fear, and that's okay. In fact, the reason that God often says, do not be afraid, is because he knows we experience fear. Fear is not incompatible with obedience. Fear and obedience are not competing. In fact, I would suggest for the warrior, the warrior who has no fear is foolish in battle. 
But the warrior who is aware of his fears displays faith when he faces those fears. There is a bravery and a courage. And so I don't know the battle that you're facing in this season. But maybe what you need to hear is that your fear isn't evidence of a lack of faith. It's evidence of the size of your faith. That you have more faith than you think you have because you continue to believe even though you're terrified. Because you continue to believe even though you don't feel like you're equipped for the task. Because you continue to believe even though you don't know how to explain what you're up against. Maybe that fear is evidence of how much you trust, not the lack of it. So it continues in verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, well, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And then dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And then Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. So here's my question for you in the midst of our battles. Because God is leading them into this battle and these 300 men, a noise gets raised up as they surround the enemy and the enemy goes fleeing. But listen to the language that they used in there. The language is this dependence on God. Like they're not there and like, oh, we came up with the most clever f- plan that no one's going to be able to stop. No, they say, it's, they said the Lord has given this. The Lord caused it. This is for the Lord and for Gideon. They're giving all credit to God. In the battles that we're facing, we, we can ask two different questions. We could ask... Do I have what it takes? Or we can ask, what has God already done? Do I have what it takes is a question that looks internally about, do I have it within me? Do I have enough strength? Do I have enough power? Do I have enough training? Do I have enough experience? Do I have enough ability? Or do we look and say, what has God already done? What has God already done throughout history? What has God already done in the scriptures? What has God already done in my life? Because I believe when we ask, what has God already done, it reminds us that God wants to do it again. It reminds us that God will continue to fight like he has always fought. And so maybe you don't feel like you can win. So did so many other people who came before you. And maybe you don't feel like you know what to do or you don't feel like God could possibly use someone like you. So have so many before you. And maybe you don't feel like you're trained for a moment such as this. But so have so many before you. Look to what God's already done to get you where you are. You will win this battle. But you're not going to win it by your own strength. It comes being dependent on God to do what only God can do. 
Now in verse 22, I love the way it kind of summarizes this. It says, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Like it's this picture of pure chaos just erupts. Like they are raising up these shouts and they're smashing jars and they got the torches and blowing the trumpets and they're shouting for the Lord and for Gideon. And then chaos just happens in the camp. The enemy turns on himself. I believe when you rely on God's strength, the enemy will turn on himself. That when you are relying on the strength of God, the enemy turns and wreaks havoc on himself. So what I've seen so many times in my own life, when, when I am relying on my own strength, when I'm relying on my own willpower, my own ability to correct and change behaviors, my own ability to get someone else through a difficult time, the enemy sets his target on that and he blows it up. Like he sees me trying to live by my own strength and he's like, all right, let's set the target right on RJ because I've spotted the weakness. Like as soon as we are relying on our own strength, the enemy spots the weakness and he blows it up. He's like, just watch. Like, I, he's, I see the weakness. I'm pouring the temptation on. I see the weakness. I am speaking lies and unbelief into him. I see the weakness. Like, oh, let's, let's throw it all at him. But when our strength comes from somewhere else, when our strength comes from Jesus himself by the power of his death and resurrection, the target gets set on the enemy's weakness. Because suddenly the weaknesses that we had aren't the weaknesses that Jesus had. And so suddenly the enemy can't find the weakness and Jesus is going to do what we couldn't do. In the book of Nehemiah, Ezra makes this beautiful statement. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is the source of our strength. That joy, that, that can't be manufactured within. That was delivered to us by the power of Jesus. That Jesus on the cross does something that stirs up joy within you because you are loved beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because you are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And when that strength gets built within us as we follow Jesus, that joy interrupts the work of the enemy. It's a joy that gives supernatural strength, a, a strength that doesn't make sense. The kind of strength that can allow 300 to overpower a much larger army. The kind of strength that could allow somebody who's grieving to maintain faith and hope. A strength that could somehow set someone free from addiction. A strength that can somehow see a marriage restored that shouldn't be able to make it. A strength that is seemingly terrified but continues to trust. When the joy of the Lord is our strength, the enemy turns on himself. So there's something that happens in the unity of the 300 in the army as they make shouts of joy for the Lord. I believe that as the family of God, that the testimony of Jesus will build strength and disrupt the enemy's strategy. That as we make some noise, like the army of Gideon makes some noise, I believe the enemy turns on himself. I believe as we tell the stories of what Jesus is doing, the enemy doesn't know what to do. Think about it. When you share the lies that you fight against, when you sh share the struggles that you have, and then I share my battles, and I share the lies that I am wrestling with, it exposes the enemy's weakness. 
Because if the enemy speaks to you like he speaks to me, we can begin to spot the weakness of the enemy because we begin to call out his lies. When you share the hope that you've had, you have and, and what you've seen Jesus do in your marriage, it makes some noise about the joy of the Lord that you have and somebody who feels like God's not with them in their marriage now suddenly hears a testimony that God can do for them what he did for you. As you share your story of long and a painful road of recovery, it exposes what the enemy tried to do but could not accomplish. And somebody else who hasn't started that road of recovery, here's a testimony that says Jesus can do it again. In Revelation 19, verse 10, which is the same section that we read earlier about the warrior Jesus who comes in riding on a horse, who comes in as king of kings. It says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In, in other words, the testimony of Jesus, and the, the witness of Jesus, the stories we share about what Jesus has done speak truth that God's going to do it again. And so when you share the story of healing that you had, it testifies that God wants to heal again. When you share the story of how God's forgiven you and rescued you, it, it testifies that God wants to do it again. When you testify of how you've been set free, it testifies that God wants to do it again. And so I want to encourage you this week, share your battle stories. Because I believe those battle stories will create unity in us as we try to follow Jesus. That it will create and stir a unity in us, but that testimony will also speak words of prophecy to other people saying that Jesus wants to do what he's done again. And so share those stories in community with people. Share those in stories with people in the lobby afterwards. Say, here's what God done. I believe he can do it again. If you're in a small group, share with your small group. Let me tell you what God has done. Because as you share those stories, the en enemy's work will be disrupted because you will get evidence of how God is already winning. And God promises he will do it again. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you, get in a small group. We have all kinds of meetup opportunities all throughout this summer. It's just a way that you can test drive and see, all right, is this small group thing for me? And why is that so valuable? Because you can get with other people who are in the battle with you. And you can share stories. You can share the struggles. And all of those stories testify to what God wants to do again. Because as we share those stories, it exposes the weakness of the enemy. It exposes him as the liar he is. And in it, it testifies to the strength and power of Jesus. It testifies to the God who raised the dead. The God who healed the blind. The God who sets the prisoner free. And when it testifies to God, the God who did those things, it reminds us that he also will do those things. Because God loves to do it again and again and again, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your strength and for your power. That you are a God who comes to us, a God who gives freely to us. We pray that you would just be present in our midst, reminding us of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray that you would pour out joy and peace in this place that we would be reminded of the ways that you fight for us, that you are king, that you rescue, that you set us free, Jesus. 
And Jesus, as we prepare to celebrate in the meal that you gave us with your body and your blood, Jesus, we pray that you would just hear us confess, that you would bring to mind our own sins and thought and word and deed, that you would bring to mind the, the lies that we believe about ourselves, that you would bring to mind our doubts, our unbelief, Jesus, that we would, with all of it, just bring it to you. So Jesus, we pray that you hear us now as we confess these to you. of Jesus is that he fights the battle for you. And his testimony is that he will do it again and again and again in every battle you face. The promise of Jesus is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 